everyone. Welcome to the Dear Family Courts podcast. My name is Lisa Welter and I'm your host. We're continuing on in our conversation from last week. Last week we broke out the uh, ideas of what types of mediation is there available to people and then what does it mean to exercise free will in those arenas. We unpack that. It really comes down to the understanding of the mediator to know and understand their role as a neutral to uh, impact how parties are able to exercise their sense of free will. We talked about two main approaches to mediation. There's transformative and then there's facilitative or more of that traditional route. You tend to see much more traditional mediation uh, available, especially through lawyers, um, social workers, but there's a second type of mediation called transformative mediation that is really focused on people. Facilitative mediation is focused on settlement more so than, than the people. What we concluded to last week is that it really comes down to parties having the ability to exercise free will and the knowledge of the mediator to, to be trained in a way that they understand how to remain neutral and not allow their professional lens to impact the mediation space, which can be uh, detrimental to the parties and erode their ability to exercise free will. But this week, we want to talk more so about when mediators are conducting mediation, how do we protect or safeguard that party self-determination if they choose to bring their legal counsel into the environment? And there's nothing wrong with legal counsel coming into these environments, but there is a, a, a it's helpful to understand that lawyers have been trained to zealously advocate for their clients. No matter where they go, that's what they're going to do. And so it's helpful for the mediator to recognize that they can expect that. They're, they can expect that when uh, parties are coming into the mediation space, the mediator has to set the tone that they are safeguarding and protecting the self-determination or the ability for the parties to exercise their free will. And there are techniques that the mediator can include in their work and set up the space well so that uh, lawyers can speak to their clients based on rights, but the mediation process is not compromised and becoming a, a more adversarial environment because it's um, being overrun by legal counsel, which can happen to some degree. In fact, the circumstance that I was in when I requested mediation was primarily run by the, the mediator and the lawyers. They were all trained lawyers, of course, my lawyer, their lawyer, but the mediator was also a lawyer. And so the terms were defined by them. The settlement options were defined by the lawyers. And really the mediator, uh, he was using a facilitative approach, but it felt like an extension of the courtroom. And sadly, a lot of people are having this experience. And our goal by from Jen and I is to help kind of retrain what family mediation is supposed to actually look like by upholding what the statutes are saying with regards to self-determination. The state of Minnesota offers this under Rule 114, um, under the Code of Ethics, we're talking about mediation rule number one, self-determination. It says this, a mediator shall recognize that mediation is based on the principle of self-determination by the parties. 
It requires that the mediation process rely upon the ability of the parties to reach a voluntary, uncoerced agreement. It goes on to say, a party mediator shall not require a party to stay in the mediation against the party's will. Primary responsibility for the resolution of a dispute and the shaping of a settlement is agree, uh, agreement rests within the hands of the parties. At the end of the day, what it's saying is mediators mediate, judges judge. This should not feel like an arbitration or a judge-hosted settlement conference. It should not feel like an extension of the courtroom. And it is. And that's what we're calling out as the Catalasso Group and retraining anyone, whether they've been trained as mediators for a long time, to really pay attention to honoring uh, and protecting party free will. It's a big deal. This is what we want for all of us, but we as mediators have a responsibility to carry the flag on this. When we think about what it looks like in our environments as mediators, we're speaking specifically to the transformative family mediation approach. So I'm speaking about the training process that Jen and I conduct and how mediators are supporting the mediation process with their clients. We take a restorative approach to our work because we feel that transformative mediation, which was originated from Folger and Bush back in the, I think it was 1994, they wrote a book called The Promise of Mediation. We thought, oh, this is so good. I've been trained facilitatively, Jen as well. But restorative approaches can be super effective for the neutral to understand their role, but also to maintain a sense of party empowerment, party self-determination, but it's also about recognizing that the neutrals, the mediators are going to be confronted with highly anxious or highly conflicted family systems. And it's giving the, the mediator a technique to use within the mediation process so that the parties can determine how they want things to go and select their outcomes. So we would say that mediators set the tone, they offer the tools, and they empower. The parties control the process and the outcomes. In other words, we would say that the parties are going to build what they want for legacy and outcomes. The mediator is the guide, offering tools along their pathway and moving at the pace of the parties. And ruthlessly sniffing out and protecting the ability for parties to self-determine or exercise free will. Some of the hardest things about being a neutral is having the ability to understand and prepare what we're walking into. And we're not going to have a lot of time to talk about that for the family system. So we're going to talk about that though, more specifically about lawyers We have to acknowledge our own biases and have a plan in place for our own tendencies because we as humans are going to naturally fall into our default mode, which is usually our primary occupation. And then we will control the environment based on what we've been, we're best at. (laughs) So we have to be really very much self-aware and take responsibility for how we're showing up as mediators. But as mediators, we must understand what our role looks like and then how to function in our lane by, and then keeping our eyes on our goal. When we think about mediation, justice in mediation starts with the mediator, the neutral. 
So if we think about Lady Justice, there's, you know, the picture of Lady Justice on all of the lawyers' desks or in courtrooms, right? She's got the scales of justice, she's got a blindfold on, and she's carrying a sword. And when we think about mediation, the scales of justice mean that justice is going to be determined by the parties. We notice her blindfold. That means that the mediator is impartial and is providing opportunities for parties to remain empowered and recognize one another. And then that sword is about giving authority and power into the hands of the parties. This is where the crux of it all happens for party self-determination. It does not get transferred to the hands of the lawyers in mediation. It's not supposed to anyway. So let's talk about one tactic when it comes to managing the presence of lawyers. First and foremost, honor and recognize them for what they're good at. They're really good at analyzing the law. They're really analytical individuals. They know how to uh, categorize people based on what the law and the statutes are saying. So they're very much rights-based people. That can be a really good thing as long as it's uh, it's uh, appropriately used in the mediation space. If you don't say anything, it's going to be a free-for-all in the environment, and the mediator is required to take and preserve the responsibility for party self-determination. Honor the, part, honor the lawyers for what they bring, but tell them there's going to be a way in which mediation is conducted to maintain and protect party self-determination. And that's where we would suggest the use of a talking piece and a fishbowl. So in transformative family mediation, Jen and I teach every mediator how to lead circle. We teach them how to use a talking piece and how to facilitate conversation in a way that leads to constructive conversation rather than destructive conversation. Sorry about that. For those of you who are listening, you've not taken our training, I would encourage you to check out our website. Go look at what we're doing. If you've been trained as a mediator, you don't really know what we're talking about. It's okay to get retrained. We've got all the CLEs attached to this and uh, our prices are pretty good. We would encourage you to go through the whole training and we're going to be offering some blended learning approaches, which mean you can get on-demand uh, training and then jump into one and a half to two days of role-playing so you can practice what you've learned in the on-demand uh, training modules. But here's what it would look like. If you were a transformative family mediator, you would use a talking piece to facilitate the conversation. You would be working with the parties to define what those substantive norms would be. And then you would be equipping them with this process that this is how they're going to start engaging with one another, but then handing it off to them to, to kind of make their own decisions. They would include whoever they wanted in the process as well. They would be deciding what they want to talk about. And the talking piece would go from person to person to person in a literal circle. So think in terms that they'd be sitting in an environment where this would be passed around uh, in a circle format left, right, it doesn't matter. But the parties would only be listening. They would not be contributing actively to the mediation taking place. They would not be handed a talking piece. The talking piece, whenever it's handed to a person, is the opportunity to speak while everyone else has the opportunity to listen. Whoever has the talking piece is not to be interrupted. No one is allowed to speak when someone has the talking piece. 
That means it sets a precedence for anyone in the environment, whether it's lawyers, if it's, say, family members that are coming in and they're, they're getting in the way or they're making <laughs> it messy, the mediator can make, uh, they get to set the tone to safeguard self-determination and they can offer a facilitated process that is allowing the, me- the I'm sorry, the lawyers to listen but they're not necessarily contributing actively. And then the mediator would simply tell everyone, we're going to take a break every hour, every half hour, whatever. Uh, Council, you can confer with your parties, kind of check in and see how things are going. But we would advise mediators to use this technique whenever legal counsel are present. This is called the fishbowl technique. It is something that's used in restorative practices frequently. It's very effective to allow for people to observe what is being discussed. It's giving uh, the legal counsel the ability to hear how negotiations are going and also to hear the stories, what's important to these people, to help them in those breaks to decide on what makes the most sense if they are even needed at all. So that's all we have for today. I just wanted to teach you the fishbowl technique. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I would advise you to come to our website, check out what we're training about, and consider jumping into one of our blended um, training options or come to one of our live trainings and get taught in this technique, which can be used in person or even by Zoom. We teach everything by Zoom, so you're going to be prepared to do any of these um, in any of those environments, which can be highly, highly helpful. So again, I hope that's helpful for you today as you think about how to uh, create safe conversations in the mediation environment, uh, honoring and pr- protecting what the parties are requesting, having their medi- or having their lawyers present, but also honoring where the lawyers should have their input placed as the mediation is being facilitated and there's protection of party free will or self-determination. So that's all for this week. Next week, we're going to move on to more topics uh, related to the mediation space. And uh, we just invite you, if you haven't shared this with your friends, please do. We know that this is unique and helpful for a lot of family mediators. Please share this with your friends who are lawyers, social workers, therapists. Help us spread the word because Jen and I really just want to help establish a better way to do good justice for families. All right, we'll see you next week. Take care.